Hey everybody, we're so glad you joined us today. No matter how you found us, we're glad you found us because everybody is welcome here at Menlo Church and that means you. Nobody's perfect and anything is possible. So we hope you will enjoy this message. Let's take a look. Hey brother, I know you're going through it. You know what it says in the good book? This too shall pass. It says in the Bible, cleanliness is next to godliness. So clean up your life. Let me, let me, let me find that for you. I got it. When God closes a door, he throws open a window. It's, it's in there somewhere. God works in mysterious ways. The Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone that isn't. Just take my word for it. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. I want to say hi to everybody in this room and folks at all of our campuses around the Bay Area, people joining us online. So glad you're here for this message. We're in a series and we're looking at things that people think God said, that people think are in the Bible, that are not actually in the Bible at all. And today is a classic. Uh, sometimes somebody will be facing adversity. They got trouble at work or at home or a problem in their health or in their financial life. We all know what that's like. And someone who wants to encourage them will come along and say, you can face this, you're tough, you're capable. Besides, we know that this is not beyond your ability to cope because the Bible says God never gives us more than we can handle. Now that's often intended to be a comforting statement because it's kind of taken as a promise. If you just trust God, Things will not get too bad. They will not get unbearable. Your life will be manageable. But the problem is, the Bible never says that. In fact, if you've read the Bible at all, you know that the Bible is largely the story of people given, being given things that they cannot handle. To name one obvious fact, part of handling things is not dying. And everybody in the Bible dies. Hey, Abel, I wouldn't worry about your brother Cain. God never gives us more than we can handle. Whoops, sorry. Hey, Uriah the Hittite, I wouldn't worry too much about King David with your wife Bathsheba and all that, because God never, oops. Hey, John the Baptist, I wouldn't worry about Herod with the machete, because God, see, starting with Jesus and going down the line, the Bible is mostly about people whose faith in God not only does not prevent their suffering, but very often actually causes their suffering. And they never ever console one another by saying, God won't give us more than we can handle. Jesus himself ends his life being crucified. And his disciples take over the cause, and first thing, they get arrested and beaten, and we're told the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. When Paul uh, is called by Jesus, the very first thing that Jesus says is, I must show Paul how much he will suffer for my name. And then in what I believe is one of the most inspiring but sobering chapters in the Bible, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we're told about one human being after another who were given more than they can handle. Now you think about these words, these these things happening to real people. Some were tortured, 
refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And people think God won't give you anything you can't handle is in the Bible? Like, have they ever read the Bible? The people God uses seem to have remarkably little concern about how much suffering they would do as long as they had a cause worth suffering for and a savior worth suffering with. And that's what you and I have, a cause worth suffering for and a savior worth suffering with. Now, the Bible verse that most people cite around this, God will never give you more than you can handle idea, is a verse from the letter that Paul wrote to Corinth, 1 Corinthians, but people usually misquote what Paul said. Here's the actual text. Paul writes, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, Paul doesn't say here, expect minimal suffering because God won't give you anything you can't bear. He says, don't let yourself rationalize sliding into sin because God will not allow temptation to come your way without providing a way uh, out for you. Now, Corinth, where Paul was writing, was a port city. It was notorious for greed, uh, quite rampant sexual promiscuity, idolatry, arrogance, selfishness. Corinth was where people went to pursue temptation. It was Temptation Island. And it is a weird thing about us. Once I want to be tempted, I can find all kinds of ways to rationalize doing what it is that I want to do. And I can even drag God into it. I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I know I should not. I go past it. There's one right off of Highway 101 at Rengsdorf, in case you did not know. And the hot donuts now neon light is on. You know, you can actually download a hot donuts app to push notifications. They are addicting like a donut version of crack. They're so good, they're almost sacramental. And so I think maybe God wants me to have a hot donut and a layout of fleece. I will drive around the shop and if there's an open parking space in front, I will know it is God's will for me to have a Krispy Kreme donut. And sure enough, my seventh time around the shop, there is an open space right there. Our dog Baxter is a very athletic dog, yellow lab. But recently we took him in for a checkup and we found out Baxter has gained 15 pounds. We had to sleuth a little bit. We found out Baxter has discovered how to climb up and access his food supply. And he was surreptitiously eating himself into obesity. And I tried to explain to him he was ruining his health. He did not care. He did not want to be delivered from temptation. I love that dog, but he has no moral character whatsoever. His will is a slave to his desire. Now, in our day, the word temptation has largely become a joke or a tease. We see it mostly on dessert menus or reality TV shows. But temptation does a terrible thing. 
It will try to unravel your humanity by convincing you that you are just an appetite that has to be gratified. God doesn't do that. God will give, Paul says, a way out. He will give you a fellowship group if you're an addict. He'll give you the opportunity to confess and come clean. He'll give you another person that loves you to be accountable to. He will give you a friend that will pray for you. He will give you a sense of conviction that says, run, don't walk out of this situation or out of this relationship. God will give you warning bells of conscience, the Holy Spirit to just prompt you to say, this is the wrong path to take. One of the reasons why life groups are so important for our church is that we help each other live up to who God made us to be. God will provide a way out. The danger is that when I settle in, when I really want something, I'm not looking for the way out anymore. So just as your pastor, I want to pause for a word here. If you have been playing with a temptation, maybe it's about a, a financial dishonesty, maybe it's a flirtation at the office that started out kind of innocent, but it set it a bad way, Maybe it's about pursuing sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Maybe it's a habit that's turning into an addiction. Maybe it's refusing to be generous with your finances. Maybe it's a pattern of lying and deceit. Started small, but it's not small anymore. Guys, God is not mocked, and sin will corrode your soul and ruin your character and destroy your eternity if you let it. And Paul is saying, but, but, God is faithful, and he will make a way out. So I want to ask you, make the decision this moment that you will do whatever you need to do to be delivered by God's faithfulness so that you are not mastered by the unworthy power of sin. I just want to ask everybody in our church to do a heart check around that this weekend. Okay? That's what Paul writes about how God will not let you be tempted without giving you a way out. The most frequently cited Bible passage about today's saying is really about temptation, but that still leaves the question, does God give people more than they can handle? And for that one, there's a different passage of Scripture that I believe gives an insight that can change a life and even change a whole church. And so I want to turn to this passage. This is to the uh, church at Corinth, Paul's second letter. And he writes towards the very beginning, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we ourselves can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. It's an amazing passage. I'll start by noticing that Paul calls God the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. One problem with that phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, is it can make it sound like God is the one handing out suffering and pain and evil. And lots of people think about God that way. The Bible is real clear. God hates evil. God hates suffering. 
God is not sitting up in heaven saying, I'll give this person an abusive father. I'll give that person a case of terminal cancer. I'll mess up those families by causing that plane to crash. Paul's quite deliberate in how he describes God. He is not the father of evil and the God of all pain. He is the father of compassion and the God not just of comfort, but of all comfort. And then it's not just that. Not only does God comfort us in our suffering, he then uses us to be able to bring the comfort and healing and hope that we receive to other people. The very scars and wounds that we carry around that we often most want to hide, our addictions, our losses, our griefs, our failures, those ironically, paradoxically, in the gospel, in the power of the cross, become the stories that we tell and the bridges that we build that enable us to be part of healing and hope and comfort in other people who suffer just like us. In fact, in fact, people who are willing to share their suffering together experience both a healing and a kind of community that does not happen with people who only share their successes and triumphs. Because then people who thought, I'm all alone, find out I'm not all alone. So I'm going to ask us to do something that I've never done before. I'm going to go through some categories of human problems. And when I'm done... I'm going to ask if any of these categories have ever been troubling for you, if you have ever felt pain in any of them, that you stand up, physically stand up. I'm going to ask you to do this at every one of our campuses. And I do this uh, for a reason so that many people in our midst who right now are troubled and believe that they are all alone would be able to discover that they are not alone. So I'm asking people with troubles today to stand up as a gift to other people so that this could be a community of fellowship in suffering. So here we go. If you have ever suffered from deep grief or loss or loneliness, if you or somebody you love has ever been troubled by an addiction like alcohol or substance abuse or sex or gambling, if you've ever been through the pain of betrayal or of divorce or a broken family, if you've experienced the death of a spouse or a child or a loved one, if you've ever had a miscarriage or know the ache of wanting children but not being able to have them, if you've known vocational pain, failure, being terminated or joblessness, if you've been through cancer or a heart problem, or other difficult health condition. Yeah, in this room, people standing all over, just room, it keeps staying standing. If you've ever felt failure as a parent, if you've ever been the victim of emotional, or physical, or sexual abuse, or assault, if you or somebody you love has ever suffered from anxiety, or depression, or a phobia, or a mental health challenge, if you have ever known any of these conditions or in some other way experienced significant suffering in your life that you could not fix, I want to ask you to stand for a moment right now and just look around the room. Guys, everybody fights a battle. Only they and God know. 
You are not alone. We are the fellowship of the troubled heart. We walk together. And Paul promises God will be with us. And we often look at each other and we think we're so smart and so successful. We don't even see what God sees. So uh, we're going to sit down in just a moment, and we don't want anybody to feel alone. We haven't done the greeting at any of our services, and, and, and so we will do it now. And I want to give you one of two statements to say to somebody around you. You could say, the peace of Christ be with you. That's actually an ancient expression of blessing the church has used for centuries. Or you could say, you think your problems are bad, you should hear about mine. Either one of those two. Just turn to somebody right now and tell them that, and then go ahead and have a seat. I wanted to do this this weekend because one of the great illusions of suffering, and uh, the evil one will often use this, and it's especially prominent in our day of uh, gloriously successful social media posts, this illusion is I'm the only one with problems. Everybody else is doing great. I was thinking about some Instagram posts you rarely see, like I picked up grandma from jail today. Hope the third time's the charm. <laughs> or here's a picture of me getting fired at work. There's the security guys with me, frowning emoji. This was an important growth experience. Or my girlfriend broke up with me this week by text. Here it is, laughing out loud. Rarely see those on Instagram, do you? Rarely get posted in Facebook. Social media is fine when you're handling it. Where do you go when you're not handling it? Here. See? Here. Somebody, this kind of haunts me, somebody drove past our church for years, and they would often see on Sunday mornings people outside of this building talking and laughing and looking well-dressed and confident and this person, who eventually many years later started coming to our church, said that for years they would drive past and see that. And here's, here was their thought. They thought, I could never fit in there. They all look like they're at a giant cocktail party for successful people. And some of you are wondering, do they serve cocktails in between service? I've just been getting donut holes in coffee. Which table do I go to? It's just an expression. We are not a gathering of the triumphant. We are the fellowship of the troubled heart. That's all we are. That's all the church has ever been. But here's the strange truth of the cruciform life, that is the cross-centered, cross-shaped life, the cross of Jesus that forms this mysterious heart of life and death and resurrection in Jesus. If you have suffered a major hurt, you have a major gift to offer. If you have suffered a major uh, piece of suffering or pain, you have a major contribution to make to others, not from your strength. Your scar, your limp, your wound, your inadequacy. And I know, I know how much that word inadequate hurts around here. 
but for reasons I do not understand, shared pain creates a community that untroubled triumph does not. And this does not mean that your suffering is always manageable. It means your suffering is always meaningful. I want you to look at how Paul described his trouble level. You just, on a scale of 1 to 10, take a look at this and think about where would Paul rate on the trouble level. This is what he says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. That was a pet phrase he would use just occasionally to underline a real important point. Don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much trouble is that? That's about a 10. Really bad troubles would be the maximum that we could endure. And of course, if God never gave anyone more than they could handle, that would be the limit, the maximum they could endure. But Paul says that that was not the limit. He says that his troubles were not just what he could endure. They were not even just all that he could endure. They were beyond all that he could endure, not just a moderate amount beyond. They were far beyond all that he could endure. In fact, he was in the despair zone. In fact, he had received the death sentence. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, the question is not what I can handle. The question is what God and I can handle. A friend of mine put it like this. It's not that God won't give you any more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle whatever you've been given. When I hear that phrase, God will not give you more than you can handle, I often think, of course he will. People die. Dying is what you do when your body can't handle it anymore, and people die every day. If you rely on yourself, when it comes to death, death will probably win. I know, I know, I know. We live in Silicon Valley. We are this close to solving death. We do telomere therapy. We have calico. We have decided that aging is encoded. And if it's encoded, you can crack the code. And if you can crack the code, you can hack the code. And as one doctor who runs a healthcare hedge fund and has given millions of dollars to this cause said recently, thermodynamically, there should be no reason we can't defer entropy indefinitely. We can end aging forever. I know, we're this close. But for the moment, the death rate still hovers right around 100%. For the moment, death is more than you can handle. But not God. Paul throws it in like an afterthought so that we would rely on God who raises the dead. And if you know and love somebody that has died, somebody that's dying, that's really good news. He comforts us, that God comforts us in our trouble. Now he can bring comfort, the God who raises people from the dead. In his universe, in his care, where death itself is an enemy that is going to be destroyed, there is comfort, there is meaning. How does God comfort us? In prayer, through the words of Scripture, 
That's why having them alive in our mind is so important. In a hymn or a worship song. Think of walking into a hospital room of somebody who is facing what he physically cannot handle. There's a little plaque on the wall that just says the words, it is well, from an old, old, old song. It is well with my soul. Through our thoughts, God brings comfort in our tears with strength or hope or a little whisper that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Through the reality of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and very often, very often, maybe most often, God does this through other people, and this is part of why the church, our church, matters so much. Every morning I talk with my friend Rick. We talk about temptations and trials of yesterday and opportunities and needs and challenges of today, and then we pray. I have known him and his wife since we were all single and in seminary together 40 years ago. In fact, she became a Presbyterian minister way back when I was a Baptist and believed that all Presbyterians sat in the basement of the church and smoked cigarettes and thought up ways to desecrate the gospel. She was part of my education about Presbyterianism and part of why I'm here at this church. A couple weeks ago, when I called Rick, Rick told me that she'd found a lump. And this was not good news. She had already had uh, this form of cancer before, twice, and we prayed like crazy for the next four days. Not this, can't handle this. And on the fifth day, he told me this. It's back for the third time. And I'll tell you what I did not tell him. I did not tell him, God will not give you more than you can handle. We talk and we worry and we wonder and we hope and we pray. He told me an amazing story. His wife had been reading the writings of Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you will know Johnny is a friend of our church. She's been a quadriplegic for 50 years after a diving accident, had an amazing life of uh, comforting others with the comfort she has received. She had breast cancer uh, quite a few years ago and recently it's returned. And what Johnny wrote was, I don't want it to go to waste. I don't want it to be meaningless. I want to help somebody else. The world is not worthy of them. Rick and I prayed that the surgery would go okay. It did not go okay. She had to have another surgery the next day. She had to have a third surgery on the third day. She will have to go through what she most wanted not to go through. She met Johnny in that room that she did not want to be in in the fellowship of shared suffering where people say to one another, not God won't give you more than you can handle, not everything happens for a reason, not it's going to get better, I promise, just me too, me too. I don't know why stuff like this happens. I know she inspires me and Nancy every day to live in trust and love. I don't know the answer to your suffering, but I believe there is a meaning to your suffering and that God never wastes a hurt. Parents who have lost a child, cancer survivors, 
addicts whose lives just got crushed sitting in a circle of folding chairs. People who have been hurt by the church. People without a job. People without a home. People going through rejection, divorce. Me too, me too, me too. Because we are the fellowship of the troubled heart. We gather under the shadow of the cross where the crucified God says, me too, me too. So, uh, the ask for today is real simple. Identify your deepest hurt. Maybe it goes back a long time. Maybe it's today. And bring it to God. Grieve, lament, question, anguish, trust, pray. And then, and then, don't let that wound go to waste. And then ask, God, who might I be able to help this week? This week, be on the lookout for somebody who is hurting, maybe in an area where you've been hurt, and write him a note. Give him a call. Listen, care. Today, I don't want a single person at any one of our campuses leave carrying a burden alone. So let's just be a giant life group for each other this weekend. And if somebody looks alone or afraid or hurting, you come alongside. And we want to ask God to bring comfort into this moment for every hurting heart. Let's pray. If you're sitting next to somebody and uh, you know that there has been hurt in their life and you just want to put a hand on their shoulder, let them know that you're there and you care, do that. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray now for everybody who hurts. I pray for everybody who grieves. I pray for everybody who fears. I pray for everybody who regrets. I pray for the sad and the sick and the silent and the confused and the alone. Oh, God of all comfort, would you who raise the dead bring the comfort of your love and care into this room, into every heart. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I hope that this message blessed you, challenged you, inspired you to live differently this week as a follower of Jesus. And we hope you'll come back next week and join us again. And in the meantime, stay in touch with us on social media. Have a great week.